Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. It is, it is really good to be back. If we have not met, my name is Russ Walker. I am the campus pastor here. For all of you who have forgotten who I am, let me reintroduce myself. But it is so good to be back. Thank, thank you all for allowing Courtney and I to have the space and the time over these last couple of months to get away and to get refreshed. And I'm so grateful for our team here and the staff here at One Chapel Lake Travis. Could you put your hands together for all of them? They have worked really hard. They have been fantastic, and I'm just so grateful for the team that God's assembled together. And uh, this, you know, we were, we were gone for a couple months, and uh, um, people ask, you know, are you back refreshed? I'm not quite sure. Um, uh, I, uh, Courtney and I both got the flu for eight days, and then I got pneumonia for eight days after that. Um, I, our second daughter got engaged, and so we're in the process of wedding. April 25th is her wedding date, and, and uh, so... Uh, <clears throat> Um, it's been uh, it's been fun. It's been interesting, but I tell you, it is so good to be back. It's 2020. We are all here together. A new year. You're alive in 2020. Can you believe it? If you would get your Bibles out um, with me, we're starting a new series here this morning. That we're calling "How to Pray: A Simple Guide for Normal People." I think that's all of us, right? And so in Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start. I'm going to read it out of the message paraphrase. So if you have your Bible, it may look just a little bit different for you. But let's look at this here together, starting in verse 5. It says, And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All of these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine, as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense His grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of, full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what um, you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your Father you're dealing with, and He knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with these three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normally outwardly. So shampoo and comb your hair and brush your teeth and wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Prayer. 
That's what we're talking about here in this series, the, the connection between what God does and what we do. On Mount Athos, about 6,600 feet above the Aegean Sea, big bearded Orthodox monks are praying just as they have been doing over the last 1,800 years. About 11 miles from Lagos, there's a million Nigerian Christians who are assembling together for their monthly prayer meeting in the vast campus of the redeemed Christian Church of God. In most cities in America, groups of addicts in 12-step programs are seeking through prayer and meditation to improve their conscious contact with God. At the Wailing Wall of Jerusalem, Hasidic Jews dressed in black rock to and fro, and fro in fervent prayer. Prayer is everywhere. And when you think about prayer, it seems to be like the simplest thing in the world, just like breathing. It's a moment of silence at a game. It's a cry for help. It's a sigh of disillusionment. Abraham Lincoln said this about prayer. He said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. How many would admit that you've been driven to your knees more times than once, right? You realize there's just there's nothing else that you can do that some way, somehow, I've got to make this connection here with God. But I think even though probably most of us kind of sense the importance of prayer. I think the reality for so many of us is that prayer a lot of times can be one of the most confusing and almost one of the most futile feeling things that we can do because is God really listening? Uh, I mean, I, when I'm talking, when I'm praying, is it just going up in the air and nothing else happening? I mean, are, do my, my prayers actually make a difference? Is something going to change as a result of my praying? Or is there a formula that I need to use, that maybe I haven't yet found what that formula is so I can get God to do what I want him to do. Rock star Dave Grohl admits to praying desperately when his drummer Taylor Hawkins overdosed in England's Five Festival. Quote, I would talk to God out loud as I was walking, he recalls of the late night strolls back to Kensington's Royal Garden Hotel from the hospital where his friend lay in a coma. I'm not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was so frightened and heartbroken and confused. See, from Orthodox monks on Mount Athos to Hasidic Jews in Jerusalem, from American presidents to rock stars in London, prayer is this thing I think most of us are drawn to, but yet it's a mystery that just seems so hard to unlock. A Sunday school teacher was asking his class and the kids in his class, if they knew how to pray, and Tommy immediately raised his hand and said, oh yeah, it's easy. You just say, dear God, chat for a little bit, and then say, amen. <laughs> I love that, and I think when you think about it, I think he was absolutely right. I think we oftentimes make it way more complicated than it is. There's something about the faith of a child that prayer should be encompassed with for every single one of us. And so today, what we're doing is we're kind of launching this journey that I want to kind of ask you to be a part of as we're joining in and going into this brand new year of 2020. Because as we're spending this first week in what we call Seek, seek First, an a a, a, a intentional week of praying together, coming together to pray and, and highlighting that, putting that as a focus in our lives and and as we're starting this new series, hopefully in a way to kind of renew and, and redefine and reinvigorate your life and your relationship with God, that over these next several weeks, my hope and my desire is to try and, and demystify this topic of prayer 
and to share with you what I kind of think is kind of this, this, this simple guide for prayer for us normal people. And so if you don't consider yourself a study theologian, if you don't consider yourself a Jedi prayer warrior, but you'd still like to grow in your relationship with God, you'd still like to go deeper in your relationship with God, then I think the series is for you. And I think we're going to have a wonderful journey together as we take this, these kind of paths and discover what prayer really is all about. Now, when I think about prayer, one of the things I always think about is how I grew up. I grew up in Colorado, and I had an aunt and uncle who lived in Glen Haven, Colorado. Any of you know where Glen Haven is? It's right in the heart of the Rocky Mountains, about 10 miles from Estes Park. One of the most spectacular, beautiful areas. Growing up in Colorado, I miss the Rocky Mountains. Here, here in the hill country of Texas, it always reminds me of the foothills of Colorado. We're just missing the 14ers behind it. But the topography, the climate feels very similar to the foothills of Colorado. But Glen Haven is just right in the middle, right in the middle of the the heart of the mountains. And, And so the majesty of the mountains, the fresh mountain air, there's just nothing like it. And with my aunt and uncle living there in Glen Haven, every summer, practically, we would take a trip there. It was about three or four hour drive from where we lived to where my aunt and uncle lived. And, and back then, there weren't any of these main thoroughfares to get there. It was all these really skinny roads on these high mountains, these hairpin turns. And so I would almost always get car sick. And so my parents were always having to get the car over because you know what happens when you get car sick. And so one of us kids was always car sick. And when you're up in that altitude, a lot of times the first couple of days, you kind of feel lightheaded and have a headache. But finally, you kind of acclimate to that altitude. And one of our favorite things to do was to go hiking in the mountains, exploring in the mountains. My uncle's house, he had built this log um, house. I can't call it a cabin because it was a large log house on the side of a mountain. And so literally, we would walk out the back of his his door and just continue up the mountain, and we would go exploring all through the mountains. And as the Colorado mountains are, you go from one peak, you think that's it, and oh no, there's another peak behind that. And and so we had a, a lot of fun. Now, looking back, I have no idea why my parents allowed that, by the way, because when you'd walk into my, my aunt and uncle's house, right there in front on the wall was this bear-skinned hanging. There where my uncle had shot and killed a bear right there at his front door. And so you could, we're always reminded that bears are there. So I have no idea why my parents would let us go exploring out on it. But we would. And uh, in the mountains, there's all of these trails, these paths that are created by, by um, animals, you know, by deer and elk and probably bears as well. And so you could kind of follow these trails, but the terrain was always difficult. So you kind of lost your trail in the middle of it because of the boulders and, and then all the different evergreen trees and, and the aspen trees. And so invariably, we would find ourselves lost, having no idea where we were and how to get back to our home, my, my, my aunt and uncle's home. And so what we do is just keep on climbing higher. Because eventually what happens, if you're in the Rocky Mountains, you kind of come out of the tree line. And all of a sudden it starts clearing. And so you get to a place where you're high enough where you can have a vista view. And you can kind of look back and see where you've come from and where to go. And then we re-navigate ourselves back to how to get back to um, the house. When I think about prayer, I often think about those mountains in the Rocky Mountains because... Prayer isn't this four-lane concrete highway that most of us are used to when we think about living here, especially when you live in the city. 
Prayer is not that. I don't want, I want to kind of take that visual away from you because what prayer is more like is like this living landscape with hills and valleys and, and these mountaintop things that you, you experience when you're in prayer. Now, I do realize that there are times when we just need the fastest route to God possible. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, when your car skids and you're on Highway 71 and you're heading towards oncoming traffic, you just need the, fa- the fastest possible route to a communication with God, which is usually one word, right? Help! <laughs> That's usually the only thing that gets out when, when, when you're in those types of situations, of course, unless you're... Um, um, the carry underward, and you start singing the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. Maybe that's more how you do it. But for the rest of us, there's this kind of this, when we're in, in crisis, there's this cry of help. But I want you to understand when we talk about prayer, there's more to prayer than just crying for help. There's more to prayer than just rushing to God in crisis. Prayer, prayer is more like exploring than imploring, and that's the visual that I want you to be able to have. Now, right here at the beginning of the series, I, I want to warn you that none of these trails of prayer is going to force God's hand. That's not how prayer works. There's not one superior way to pray. In other words, if you're looking for the Holy Grail, if you're looking for the magic words that's going to cause God to do what you want him to do for you to get what it is that you want to get or whatever you need, you're going to be sorely disappointed because that's just not the way prayer works. But as you set on these different trails, these different paths of prayer, God will join you as you do that. Because even though these paths of prayer may seem unfamiliar for you, and just like walking or exploring in the mountains, just as I experienced, and you're exploring, you might get lost, you might get in the thicket of trees, and you might hit these places where you're just confused and you don't know what to do, it's, you don't know where to go from it. Jesus actually has given us a map for us to help us navigate through maybe unfamiliar terrain. And it's probably the world's most famous prayer ever. It's called what? The Lord's Prayer, right? It's up here on the screen. Can we just say the Lord's Prayer here together? Say this with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, prayed a couple times, right? Right? Maybe in your lifetime. Actually, on Easter Sunday, one-third of the population of this world prays the Lord's Prayer every single year. It's the most well-known prayer. But what I want to do as we talk about, talk about prayer in this series, I want you to kind of change maybe, maybe how you think about the Lord's Prayer. Because a lot of times we kind of look at it as liturgical. A lot of times we think about it kind of a prescribed words, either that have been memorized or that we're used to reciting in some sort of way. And it just becomes stale. It becomes religious. I want you to try to change how you see it and, and not just see it and not see it in a way that's prescribed words, but it's actually Jesus has given us a map to use as we are praying. There's a, there's, it's a map to follow in our exploration through prayer. And so over the next several weeks, what I want to do is kind of break down the Lord's Prayer, this, this prayer map, into a four-step rhythm using the acronym P-R-A-Y, pause, rejoice, ask, yield. 
Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. When you break down the Lord's Prayer, it really breaks down into these four different sections. And I'm not necessarily a, a big fan of acronyms. A lot of times these just feel trite or overused. But I think this one actually kind of works because it's simple, but it's also really profound. And when I think about what Jesus was doing when his disciples were asking him, Lord, teach us how to pray, I think Jesus was trying to simplify it for them and to take out the religious overtones of the pompous and the seemingly spiritually elite religious leaders of that time and to make prayer this adventure and to pray, prayer, make prayer to be more like the breath that we breathe within the personality that each of us distinctly have. Because as just with those first disciples, there's going to be days in your life where you wake up thinking, is this really all there is to knowing the creator of a hundred billion galaxies? Is this all that there is? It's easy for it just to become churchy, to become religious. And, and all of a sudden you start going, oh, there's got to be something more to all of this. There's going to be days when you're, you're reading your Bible and you, you're reading the book of Acts. And you're looking and think, why aren't we experiencing these things so much anymore in our generation? There's going to be days in your life where you wake up and and your world around you is falling apart and you desperately need a breakthrough. And there's going to be days where you say to yourself, you know, if this God thing is really true, then there's got to be more power. There's got to be more miracles. There's got to be more personal experiences to all of this. And I think that's when we come to this place, just like those first disciples did, where we finally turn to God and we say, okay, God. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to do this. I don't know how to do this. I need to get out of this religious churchy thing. Teach me how to do this. And I think that's when God comes and runs beside us and says, I can hardly wait. I'm so glad you're wanting wanting to take this journey with me. I thought you would never ask. In the book, Idols of the King, Alfred Lord Tennyson, he describes his revelation of prayer this way. He says, more things are wrought in prayer than this world dreams of. Oh, that we would have that same type of revelation that goes deep inside of our hearts. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. Abraham Heschel, who was a Polish-born American rabbi, one of the leading Jewish philosophers and Jewish theologians of the 20th century, he described prayer this way. He says, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. I really like that. What an incredible description of this, that in the surprise of life, and how many of you know life surprises you with things that you don't expect, that prayer is our humble answer to that. It's our interaction with this. In the message Bible, the apostle James, he just describes it succinctly like this, James 5 verse 13, are you hurting? Pray, period, end of statement. Enough said, right? Let's go home. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, he says it this way, Philippians 4, verse 6, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. You know, the older I get, the more I've been realizing the importance and the significance of prayer. And as I look back on my life, one of the, the things I wish I could go back and do better is to pray more because there is so much power, so many things that happen as we pray, and if we really have a revelation of that, then there would be nothing else that we want to do more. We've got to strip away, though, I think the religious overtones and the churchy aspects that we've made prayer to be, and let it become, again, the lifeblood that it's supposed to be. And so as we launch this series, as we're stepping into this 
this, this first week, the Seek First week that we're doing, where we're focusing on, on, on prayer here. What we're going to do throughout the series, we're going to spend more time breaking down this acronym, P-R-A-Y, this kind of rhythm that's within the Lord's Prayer, this, this map that Jesus has given us. So we'll do that in the series. But today, I want to leave you with something very practical. I want to give you something as we're launching into this, as you're trying to navigate and figure out just your footing in 2020. I want to just, I want to just give you some very practical, tangible things that you can take with you. And so number one, keep it simple. When it comes to prayer, please just keep it simple. So often we just overcomplicate it with all this other stuff and maybe religious traditions and things. And I think we end up missing the point of what it's all about. Jesus actually warns us quite specifically about getting overcomplicated in prayer. Let me read this again in, in Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production either. All these people making regular shows out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Come on, you know what, I'm ta- you know what I'm talking about? You know, when you're asked to pray in a public setting, all you're doing is thinking about what might sound good to other people. That's what he's talking about. Don't do that. Just be honest. You be simple before, before God. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what, what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God love like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And that's the thing I want to kind of put in your lap here as we're starting this. And we even we're talking about prayer. We're spending a week focusing on prayer in the Seek First week. Just to keep it simple. When you think about it, there are actually very few rules for the Christians when it comes to prayer. There are very few rules. In other words, you can pray in the shower. You can pray while you're driving. You, pray, you can pray in your classroom. You can, play, you can pray in the boardroom. You're not required to close your eyes when you pray. Did you know that? You're not required to close your eyes when you pray. You're not required to adopt a particular posture when you pray. You don't have to dress a certain way when you pray. You don't have to wash yourself ritualistically when you pray. You don't have to use a fixed form set of words that God only listens to if you use those types of words. That's not what prayer is about. And so that's why God invites us to pray simply and directly and truthfully in the full and wonderful weirdness that he created you to be. And I think this is sometimes where we miss it. Because maybe what's been modeled to you in prayer is that person's personality or that church's tradition of doing it. And so now all of a sudden I feel like that I have to pray that way. Or this is what prayer has to look like if I'm really going to pray. But God created you uniquely and very weird. And it's from that stand that you should involve your conversation with God. And so that means take a walk in the rain and pray if that's what you like. Now, I would suggest that don't let that be the only time you pray when you're here in Texas because that would be few and far between. But when it does rain, go ahead and enjoy that moment. It also means that maybe for you, write prayers on the soles of your shoes if that's your thing. Sing the blues when you pray. Wrap your prayers. For those of you who maybe are a little bit more intellectually inclined, you can write Petrarchan sonnets as your prayers. You can sit in silence at the shore of Lake Travis and just ponder the greatness of God, his goodness and his faithfulness to you as you're watching the waves just lap on the shore. Go for a run until you sense God's smile or throw yourself down a waterside and yell hallelujah if that's your thing. 
But out of who you are, let that be your expression. That becomes your how you pray and where you pray. But never complicate prayer with just empty religious verbiage or thinking that you have to have some sort of theology degree to pray effectively. That's not how it works. Native American pastor Richard Twist says it this way. He says, I pray all the time. My prayers are not only talking to God, they are questions. They are a dialogue. They are the burning of sage and incense. When I'm dancing in the powwow, every step is a prayer. I dance my prayers for the people. Sometimes I imagine my prayers. I fantasize my prayers. They're not always audible. I just love that. So number one, keep it simple. Number two, keep it real. When it comes to praying, just keep it real. And Lamont um, is an author, and she wrote this refreshingly irreverent book on prayer. I've always kind of liked the title. It's titled, Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. And in the book, she describes that these are really the only three words, the only three things that you need to know about praying, help, thanks, and wow. And it's a book about just this whole radical honesty needed in prayer. Thomas Merton, who was a 20th century um, Trappist monk, he said it this way. He said, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. This is where it gets funny to me, and maybe you can relate, because it's so interesting to me that we feel, so many of us, we feel like we really can't be honest with God. As if he doesn't already know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. But yet, when, when it comes to prayer and our conversation with God, it's like we kind of have to put on some sort of religious front. We kind of have to clean up our prayer and our language that we use with God. Otherwise, we're going to get struck down or something, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And we, we lose just this honesty before God. He already knows what we, we are thinking and what we're feeling. And I think that actually when you're painfully honest and uncensored before God, that you're actually drawing closer to God than ever before. And so, I mean, if you're feeling and you're thinking, you know, I'm exhausted, I'm, you know, I'm depressed. And so you just, you just say it. God, I'm, I'm, exa- I'm, I'm depressed and I don't really like you right now, God, or whatever choice words you want to say. You just, you, you say those words. You don't have to bleep out your words before God. You just, you say what's going on in your heart and in, in your mind. And then you say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around people who, who say they believe in God. I just, I, I think actually when you're honest like that before, I think God runs to you. I think he's right there with you because that's real. That's real. Instead of pretending and putting up a pretense, you actually, you're right, you're real before God. Psalm 55 or 17 says, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. Evening, morning, and noon. That's a lot of complaining and murmuring, don't you think? But yet, this, is, this was the psalmist. You read through the psalms and you'll see this over and over and over. For some reason, I think we forget how honest and blunt and real the great men and women of the Bible were in their faith and in their conversations with God. Jacob, one of the great patriarchs in Scripture, he wrestled with God so violently in a night of prayer that he was wounded for the rest of his life. Moses whined to God about the very people that God had called him to lead. Numbers 11.11, why, God, are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? The prophet Jeremiah, he ranted to God all throughout his book. In the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, you'll see his ranting. But here's just one example. Jeremiah 20, verse 7. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. 
and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For some reason, I think we forget that all throughout the scriptures, read your Bible just a little bit, just the honesty. And I think that we got to get back to just be, just be honest, just be blunt before God. Just, just cry out whatever is going on inside you. Just be real before him. So yes, Lewis, in his book, Letters to Malcolm, he says it this way. What seem our worst prayers may really be, in God's eyes, our best. Those, I mean, which are least supported by devotional feeling, these perhaps come from a deep level, deeper level than feeling. God sometimes seems to speak to us most intimately when he catches us, as, this, as if it were, off our guard. In other words, instead of putting up a religious churchy front, he just catches us as we are. So number one, keep it simple. Number two, keep it real. And then number three, keep it up. When it comes to prayer, just keep, keep it up. Keep praying. Luke 18, verse 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now think about this. Because why did Jesus specifically take the time to share a parable to show them that they always needed to pray and to not give up? Well, how many of you have ever had disappointments or heartaches over delayed or seemingly unanswered prayers? Any of you? Well, the rest of you, I want, to, I want to know your prayer life because I want to cash, cash in on that one. Come on, how many of you have ever had disappointments from unanswered or delayed prayer requests? You know, we feel like nothing's changing. I'm praying and nothing's changing here. What Jesus was saying, that something happens because it's so easy to lose heart. It's so easy to give up when it doesn't seem like our prayers are working, when it doesn't feel like they're accomplishing anything. But Jesus was saying, you're not seeing the whole picture. And you need to understand that you need to keep praying and keep praying. Don't give up in this. Stand firm in this. Frank Laubach, um, who was an early 20th century missionary and educationalist, he has a, a great kind of illustration of what this is. And he had an interesting life because he created a literacy program where now more than 60 million people are able to read in their native language. What a legacy. What a way, what a way to use your life. But he, he compared praying to throwing rocks in a swamp. And he said it this way. Each rock sinks without a trace. The exercise seems pointless. But keep going long enough, keep throwing those rocks, and the swamp will eventually be lifted, be filled. One day a rock will be thrown that will not sink. Solid ground will begin to appear. It's a great visual, isn't it? See, we may pray the same thing that we prayed a hundred times before, but then suddenly the breakthrough happens. Suddenly, the miracle happens. It's not that you found the right formula. It's not that you found the right words to pray. It's simply that you just didn't give up. There's, there's things that are happening behind the scenes you don't really realize, and then all of a sudden you experience the fruit of that. Now, the reality is there are all sorts of things that cause our prayers to be delayed or seemingly unanswered, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But for now, when it comes to praying, it's just so important to not only keep it simple and not only to keep it real— but also to keep it up. Those are really keys as you're starting, as you're working maybe to establish or to reestablish a consistency in your prayer life. As we finish here today, I want to end with this story that I want to read to you, and I'm going to read it to you over here. An advertising executive became a Christian, but said that he was too busy to carve out a daily time of prayer. It's easy for you, he told his new pastor. You have all the time in the world, but I can't fit anything else into my life. <laughs> you know, maybe as we've been 
talking about this whole series on prayer and, and praying it together and, and uh, adding prayer into your life and making that a focus, maybe that's exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, pastor, that's easy for you. You're, you're a pastor. All you do is pray and read your Bible and, and drink coffee all day. But my life's manic. My life's chaotic. My life's stressful. I can't put another thing into my life. Nothing else will fit. Maybe that's exactly how you feel. I just can't fit anything else into my life. Listen to the rest of the story. The pastor pushed back against the advertising executive's complaint with a gentle challenge. You know, he said, I've always managed to make time for the things I really value. That new believer went away and bought himself a really nice rocking chair, set it down in front of a window in his house, and began to get up just 20 minutes earlier each day to sit in it, read the Bible, and pray. As he maintained this simple daily rhythm, his wife and colleagues began to notice that he was becoming less scattered, more peaceful and kinder. The rocking chair was becoming his sacred place. Months turned into years. The daily discipline became a holy habit. And then one morning, as he sat there rocking, the Lord invited him to quit his job, sell the family home, and relocate to Chicago, from Chicago to Colorado, where a church needed his help. It was a life-changing moment that launched his entire family into a new and remarkably fruitful season of life. Several years later, that successful executive was diagnosed with a particular aggressive form of incurable cancer, but he continued to keep his appointments with God each morning in that chair. During his last remaining days, he found strength there in prayer for the hardest transition of them all. The day of the funeral dawned, and a friend found his grieving wife gazing at that rocking chair. What are you going to do with it now? He inquired. Oh, we're going to pass it down to our children and our grandchildren, she replied without hesitation. I love to think of them sitting in it the way my husband did, unburdening their hearts, listening to the Lord, letting him shape and direct their lives. I want to just ask you here this morning, where's your chair? Where's your chair? Maybe for you, maybe in your personality, your uniqueness and the weirdness of how God created you. Maybe for you, your chair can be your daily walk with your dog. And as you're taking your dog for a walk, you're having a conversation with God and just talking to him about your day and what's happening and things to come. Maybe for you, it can be a daily appointment with God at your favorite coffee shop where you open your Bible and you begin to read and you begin to have a conversation with him right there in that coffee shop. Maybe for you, it can be in your classroom where you arrive maybe just 30 minutes early to read your Bible and to pray over the different desks and people, the kids in your classroom. Maybe for you, it can be in your car as you drive to work. Instead of ranting, complaining, and grumbling over all the people who are driving in the left lane, maybe you just turn on your daily Bible reading. Or you crank up the, the speakers and and just blare worship music as you're going to and from your workplace. Wherever you find your chair, and that's where it starts, find a chair. Then try to visit it daily. Let it become your sacred place that helps you walk and talk with God through the many twists and turns that your life will have. I think that's what the purpose of this week is. We call it Seek First, taking intentionally, looking at and, and talking through prayer and looking at the rhythm of our life 
the world does it in ways of goals and New Year's resolutions. I think as you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a time, how, what rhythm do I need to put in with my relationship with God? And so it's a time to establish or maybe to reestablish a pattern of prayer and to give you a chair that you can try out for this week as you start your new year. The worship team, I've asked to come back up here. We're going to go back into worship because when we take our first step in this trail of prayer, there's there, the exploring, the, the searching God. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, it says, no, no mind, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the good things God has prepared for us. But he reveals it to us by his spirit. That's the exploring. That's the adventure that you're on as, you're, as you have a conversation. God's going to tell you things you didn't know, and you're going to hear things. He's going invite, to invite you to be a part. Prayer is this connection between what God does and what we do. And so one of the first steps in the trial is just changing our focus, taking our focus off ourselves, taking our focus off of others, taking our focus off our problems and the challenges that we're facing, and put our focus on Him, the one who's greater than all these other things, the one who has this year in His hands. He knows it from beginning to end, putting our focus on him, the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what you could ever ask, hope, or imagine. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.